This Week in Startups is brought to you by 8Sleep, the first bed engineered to improve your sleep through dynamic cooling and heating, detailed sleep tracking, and more. Get the sleep you deserve and supercharge your health and productivity at 8sleep.com twist. And Zendesk, the best customer experiences are built with Zendesk. Qualifying startups can join their startup program and get Zendesk products free for a full year. Visit Zendesk.com slash twist today to get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis, and this is the podcast where we talk about growing your business. We receive at launch, which is our investment firm, 10,000 pitches a year, well over that, in fact. And we select 100 of those companies to invest in on average. Some years we do 50, some years we do 75. And we wanted to make a series, a 10-part series, about scaling your startup and some of the basics, to be honest, so that we don't have to keep repeating ourselves when we invest in a company and they ask us a question, we can point them to a video in which we have the curriculum, the itinerary, the collective wisdom of over 200 investments in startup companies planted as a flag somewhere on the internet. Well, that's this flag. And we call it Scaling Your Startup. It's a 10-part it's a series. Consider it like a course, if you will. And this is episode five of that series. And in each of these, we have, on average, seven slides, seven points we try to make, because that is short-term memory, plus or minus two. And then I have uh, two of the Fantastic Four here with me for each episode to talk about what we've learned in our portfolio. Now, of the 200 companies we invested in, seven of the first 150 or so became unicorns. And most of them, 60, 70% of the companies we invest in, because we invest so early and we invest in such risky companies, most of them fail. And through that failure and success, we learn and we iterate on it. You can find the deck that we're going to be showing today as a living document at thisweekinstartups.com slash scale. So go to thisweekinstartups.com slash scale, and you're going to go to... Uh, chapter 5, Episode 5, and this is an episode where we're going to talk about sales. If you have listened to the first four episodes, they were on funding, was Episode 1, comms, Episode 2, your business model, which is super important for you to understand before watching this episode, if you have it, 3, your team was uh, Chapter 4, Episode 4, and now we're going to talk about sales. With me, Emmy Award-winning producer Jackie Deegan, uh, who is the managing director at our investment firm, Launch and she handles education, which includes this podcast, Founder University, Angel University, and our events like Launch Festival and Scale. Uh, and also with me, uh, Sam August, Samantha August, and she's the president of Launch, and she makes sure that uh, the operation here is running smoothly and that the founders who we work with get everything they need from the other managing directors and myself. Welcome back to the program, Jackie and Sam. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, let's go to the first slide. We're gonna have seven of these. And the first one is on hiring and hires. Great, yeah. So if you're starting a company and thinking about acquiring your first customers, of course, hiring is gonna be top of mind. So Jackie, what are some of your thoughts on acquiring your first sales hires? Sure, so I think ideally one of the co-founders has um, sales experience because really the founder needs to be the head evangelist starting out for their own product and figure out how they're gonna sell their product to a market that they're not quite in yet. Um, and then go on to hire a sales, um, a VP sales or a head of sales once they've established that formula and the process that they can pass along. Um, and for this hire, 
really two frameworks that I found very useful is uh, for when to hire and who to look for. Um, first is Jason Lemkin of Saster, who, of course, is the godfather of SaaS, as I think, Jason, you dubbed Software him. as a service. Correct. The other Jason here in Silicon Valley, That's he right. does SaaS, <laughs> I do SaaS, and consumer Correct. investing. Yep. Um, and he, he does a great job breaking it down for who you should hire based on your annual revenue milestone. So um, first of all, he says, once you hire, you only hire a VP of sales once you have a repeating sales process, not repeatable, but actually already repeating. Um, and his full breakdown of your first chief sales hire um, is really the evangelist for when you have under 1 million ARR. It's really the beginning only. Um, because again, being the evangelist is really the founder's job. Uh, Mr. Make It Repeatable, he says, between 1 million and 10 million ARR. He calls this the unicorn of hiring, like do anything to find this person to establish that process. Um, so he called it Mr. Mi Mr. Make It Repeatable. Make It Repeatable. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And then after that is Ms. Go Big, which is 10 wow. million to 40 million ARR, uh, most responsible for really scaling. And then Mr. Dashboards, uh, wow. 40 million and over ARR, who really thinks about mostly upselling and don't hire this person until you're really unstoppable. It's an interesting framework, uh, bouncing back and forth in genders. I like it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I like that too. I was, I was too. thinking about <laughs> if that is... Uh, uh, misogynistic or not? He did a good job. <laughs> he did a good job of flipping, rotating, right? right? Yeah. So that's uh, based on annual revenue. So Got Beth Shear from um, Homebrew, she's head of talent at Homebrew, has this like a slightly simpler matrix that breaks it down by stage of funding. Hmm. So she's saying that sales really should be founder-led through seed round, which is what you were talking about. Series A is when you'd want to hire sort of a player coach hmm. with at least five years experience. Series B is when you'd appoint finally a VP of sales, about eight plus years experience. Um, and then of course, there's the rest of the team that you're going to build up, including SDRs, sales development reps and associates to support the head of VP. Um, and Sam will talk more about those roles as well. Sure. So the question really is, um, Jason, what advice do you give your founders in growing yeah. their sales teams? And do you agree that there's sort of a right time to, to hire a head of sales? It's a great question. Uh, Mark Cuban told me once when I was running uh, Weblogs Inc., which was the blogging company I did before I became an angel investor with Brian Alvey, um, we did Weblogs Inc. together in Gadget Autoblog. And he said to us at some point, sales solves everything. If you have great sales and you're selling, boy, every other problem seems to get solved because you have resources to go solve them. And so investing in this process of sales is critically important. Some founders hate selling. They find it icky. In fact, most notably, uh, Mark Zuckerberg hated advertising. And that's one of the reasons why in the Facebook feed, you don't see ads that have an image with a lot of text on top of it. He felt that looked too smarmy, like a flyer. You know, sometimes you see like a, an ad that says free and buy one, get one free. He didn't like that. So he said the percentage of text on there has to be small. Um, and so that's just an example. Sometimes the people who opt in to becoming a founder don't like to sell. That is a challenge because you're already always selling. You're selling to investors, you're selling to partners, you're selling to the press, uh, and you're selling to customers, of course, and, and even new hires, right? So you're selling across the board your vision. So founders should be on those first sales calls. They should do them themselves. Um, and it's very dangerous to hire somebody too senior so I think in both of the pieces of advice, and they were both directionally correct, yeah. when you hire that super senior person, they may be used to having you know, a million dollar budget for events and for marketing. They might be used to having 
you know, an uh, executive assistant and a designer and four SDRs. And it turns out they don't actually do a lot of work anymore in selling. They're not active sellers and they're not going to get on the phone. And so they become just massive resource consumers and it's too early for them. And if it's too early for them, that's a problem because you're setting them up you're setting them up for failure. And that's what your job as the founder is to make sure you're not setting up the hires for failure. What's great about having um, kind of a line sales executive, like an account executive to work in parallel with the founder, not somebody who's a VP of marketing, but just an account executive, is that the two of you can sit there and talk about um, who to go after and, and just try to get 10 phone calls under your belt every week. And after five, six, seven, you know, weeks of that, you're going to be in really good shape to understanding what the objections are, um, who picks up the phone and takes the call, what title is the best person for you to target. And f you really don't want to obscurify that. You don't want to make that opaque in your organization. You want to have transparency in that. You want to understand who makes the decision. And so I like this idea of not getting the super high powered person because they tend to have wild expectations of compensation, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, and that, that's actually a really good segue into our next topic. Eight Sleep is the first bed engineered to improve your sleep through dynamic cooling and heating. It gives you a detailed sleep tracker and more. This is the best hack to make you more productive and you can use it very simply. Go to 8sleep.com twist and you will be able to supercharge your health and productivity and you can get the product risk-free for 100 days. They've got the best investors in Silicon Valley in this company. Coastal Ventures and our friend Keith Raboy and Y Combinator both invested in 8sleep. Think about that. Silicon Valley understands productivity and they want to give you the ultimate productivity hack, which is optimizing your sleep. You need to sleep in order to be productive and crisp at work, to build great products, to be a great manager, to be a great sales executive. So I'm getting mine this Friday. I ordered it and I cannot wait. It is the ultimate hack for you to get increased energy levels and it is gonna make you have a better mood, which I could use. You can just ask Emmy Warden producer Jackie. I've been on edge at least recently. I'm under a lot of stress, I'm not sleeping enough. and. You can have a high-functioning day, which uh, Sir Charles has every day. So go to 8sleep.com twist, and you will supercharge your health and productivity. And you'll get all these details. And it slowly wakes you up by changing the temperature. It's so really amazing, the technology they've built. Thanks again to our friends at 8sleep for sponsoring uh, This Week in Startups and for making a great product that people are raving about. Try it for free. What do you got to lose? 100 days. 8sleep.com slash twist. More to come. And let's get back to this amazing episode. So Jackie, what are some of your thoughts on compensation? Yeah, well, um, sales people are expensive. As you're going, um, <laughs> they can be. <laughs> and they can be. And uh, we have low unemployment now. It's a competitive market. Um, and especially what's important for startups is that um, it really defines uh, salespeople who are aligned with your mission. Give an example of that. What's an example of being aligned with the mission? Well, if you... Um, you don't want to work for a big company that is 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 not going to care about building something brand new in the world. For example, mm. you know, if you want to solve a problem, that's what startups are doing. But yeah. not if you're a salesperson who wants just a lot of money, who's just working with a, an organization that's been around forever. Yeah, go not, to doesn't have an innovative mindset. Yeah, um, very scrappy. Like that's the kind of person that you want you want on your team. If you're one of those max 
salespersons, you should just go work at Oracle or somebody with a high price ticket, go through their sales training mm -hmm. and just sell their widgets over and over and over again. And you don't have to do any of the marketing materials. You don't have to do any of the triangulating on which, tie, which title to go after or how to price the product. You're really, I look at the early salespeople in a startup that year one, I tell my founders to take the compensation and put half of it towards in their minds, R&D, product research, um, focus groups, just mentally think about that as half the cost. So if you had a salesperson with a 50K base and 50K in commissions and it was $100,000 total, just make it easy. If in year one, you could put 50,000 of that towards market research and then 50,000 of it towards sales compensation. And then you can get a, a little bit of a clearer picture because it might take them a long time to close those first sales because people don't know you. You don't have marketing materials. You contacted the wrong person and you've got to navigate the organization for four phone calls to find the right person. So they're going to be inefficient at the start, especially if you're doing something new and innovative. Right. We have a company called Ballooner in our portfolio that we invested in that makes enterprise software to help people with ideation, coming up with ideas uh, in an organization. Well, that's very new. To find the person, it's not like there's some VP of ideation, like there's a VP of customer support. If you're selling, if you're Zendesk selling into customer support, well, that's easy. You'd know there's a customer support team and there's somebody with that title. There's generally not an ideation or how do we fairly get ideas bubbled up in the organization for Ballooner to go after as an example. Right. Um, so I like to really think about their compensation, half research and half actual selling. Yeah. Um, so I think that there are some standard ways to offer compensation. Um, mm -hmm. We've got, you know, it's a salary only, which I don't think anyone would really recommend because it doesn't really incentivize anyone to sell. Uh, this commission only I've heard for very early startups, which, um, again, there's no stability, so not really and might highly illegal, recommended. Depending. And You <laughs> uh, <laughs> may want to talk to <laughs> some folks because compensating people just on uh, commission could in fact be illegal yeah. depending on where you are yeah. in the country. And most um, most laws are going to give the benefit of the doubt to the employee. So if you hired somebody for two months on commission only and then they go to the California Employment Board and say, I worked 50 hours a week and I didn't sell anything, so I got no commission, no. I think the California... Employment, you know, labor commissions are going to be like pay them something. Right. Do you like California laws, which are very em employee friendly? The most employee friendly. Yeah. They basically default to the employee's position right. uh, in, in my experience and in almost everybody's experience. I wonder if you could do it, just kind of a side note, I wonder if you could do it as contractors and you could have, have it in the contract and say, you know, we will pay you to close, you know, 10 deals and you only get paid if you do that. Yeah, I mean, and that would legal. be 1099, yeah. I guess, yeah. and you're paying you them commission only. Yeah. And there are some people who like that. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, when I was in the magazine business, you would routinely hire a rep in Chicago and the rep would get paid only if they sold ads for your magazine yeah. and they would get 30%. So if they sold your back cover for 10K, they got 3,000. And if they sold 10 back covers to Mercedes like they did for us and it was a 100K ad buy, for they would get $30,000. That's exactly what happened at Silicon Valley Reporter. Hmm. And if you think about real estate brokers, that is in fact how they get compensated. Yeah. They get a massive windfall of 2% of a million dollar house, $20,000 if they sell it. If they don't, they get zero. And not only do they get zero, they may have spent 
$2,000 on marketing materials and cookies and <laughs> bottled water for the showings, yeah. right? And they take on that. So that's a business deal with a corporation, mm -hmm. typically an LLC. But for an individual, I could see you getting yourself into trouble. Yeah. So be very careful. And there are some that pay on, I think, Mary Kay Cosmetics and some of those, what people would deride as multi-level marketing schemes. Um, they're really small businesses where mm -hmm. you sell a product. I think they are compensation only, um, commission only as well. So, yeah, continuing, and the more common, more successful base salary plus commission or tiered commission, um, when the salesperson gets, you know, more commission, the more they sell. Yeah. And then base salary plus bonus, um, and the bonuses tend to work maybe if you have a long invoice or payment cycle or sales cycle. So there's a really extra long gap between the sale yeah. and when they actually get paid. When um, some companies will pay people a draw against their commission, so they'll say, hey, we'll pay you a 50K base. And you'll have $50,000 on plan. So let's say you were selling $500,000 in newsletter ads. Um, and they'll say, you know what? We'll actually give you an advance of $1,000 a month for each of the first six months minimum. So you'll get that $6,000 against your $50,000 for the year because we know the first couple of months will take a little ramp up. Understand when you're negotiating with salespeople, if they're good – they're going to negotiate. Yeah. And they're annoying. Salespeople can be super <laughs> annoying to they're deal with. Uh, they can be the worst. Um, <laughs> and the better they are at selling, the worse they're going to be internally. So you have yeah. to um, try to create uh, a culture around the sales team that's very clear mm -hmm. and um, has proper incentives. So what I like to do is I like people to get paid when the money comes in the door. So if you were to sell those 10 ads for a magazine or you were to sell 10 podcast spots here on this podcast, if we got paid twice for that, they would get their commission on it twice. And if there was a cancellation, they wouldn't get their money. And if there was a, uh, a refund given, they wouldn't get the commission on the refund. And that makes it super honest. Some businesses have massive piles of cash and they're not startups, and they will actually pay people on the signing. Mm -hmm. So if somebody gets a year-long contract and they sign a $100,000 deal and they get 3% of it, they'll just give them the $3,000, and if they'll claw it back maybe in the future if they need to, if yeah. the person yeah. cancels. Um, so that falls under get creative. A red flag is somebody who wants less than a third of their compensation to come from commissions. So if somebody... If you have this $100,000 deal, if they say, I'll take 95 and then I want $5,000 if I hit my you know, sales target for the year, that's not a good sales executive. Typically, 50-50 uh, is probably how comp should work. And if they hit it out of the park, maybe two-thirds comes from their commission and performance and one-third from the base. The common thinking is the base pays your rent. Base pays your rent. So a salesperson at Yelp, I believe they pay thirty dollars or $35,000 to salespeople at Yelp in Arizona. This is what I've heard from other salespeople we've interviewed for Inside.com. And then I think they make 20000 if they knock it out of the park. So the total comp might be fifty five or 60000 Here in Silicon Valley, a SaaS person might get paid a hundred or $150,000 base if they're really good, plus another hundred if they're on target. And in a startup, it can be very confusing for a new founder to see a salesperson make more money than the founders. Mm -hmm. Get used to that. Yeah. That's what you want. You want to be the sixth or seventh highest paid person in your company as the founder. You want, if you have three salespeople who make 200000 a year and you're only taking $100,000 a year draw, that is success if they're hitting their targets. Because remember, your salespeople probably have, I don't know, 10 or 25 basis points in equity in your company, like a fraction of 1%. But you as a founder, co-founder might have 10, 20, or 30% of the equity 
When the company sells for $100 million, you're going to get 10, 20, or 30 million. The salesperson will get their 200K in comp times 10 years, 2 million. You're going to get 20 million. So that <laughs> is the bet you're making. Okay. And uh, good salespeople understand that. If they didn't, they would be developers or they would be business development people, and that's a different category. You already know that Zendesk is the world's greatest customer support system. Everybody uses Zendesk. Everybody loves Zendesk. People like Peloton, Slack, Airbnb, and Latote, they all use it. But here's what you may not know. They have an entire range of products they call the Zendesk Suite. And this offers a simple yet powerful solution that makes it really easy for your customers to engage with your business. And you don't want to frustrate your customers in their time of need. No, you want them to be able to get answers and to get support so they can become more loyal to your products and services. This includes in the suite, the integrated customer support center, the knowledge base where all the answers exist, live chat, you know, on the bottom right hand of a website pops up, you're on your mobile phone, you're on your desktop, you're on your iPad, boom, you start talking to somebody, solve your problems. And of course, standard call center features. With all of your support channels connected, you are going to see that conversations become seamless and your agents will become more productive, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% more productive. And the information that you have can be shared across your company so you can make sure it's super refined. You can scale your business without needing to hire a bunch of people. And with flat rate pricing, it's very startup friendly. So here is your call to action. Wait till you hear this offer. Qualifying startups under 100 employees. And if you're pre-series B, you get Zendesk products for free for a full year. I'm not kidding. They want to capture the early market and grow with your company. This is a classic playbook that they are deploying. They want to get into your company and help you and earn your business so that when you grow, you buy the software. So get it for free for a year. What do you have to lose? You could use it for 11 months and 29 days and quit a free year. What do you need to know? There is no risk. The only risk is if you wait. You need to do it right now because they may pull this offer at any time. Go to zendesk.com slash twist. Go to zendesk.com slash twist and get started today. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Okay, welcome back to This Week in Startups. It's our Scaling Your Startup series. There are 10 episodes in this series and you can view the deck, which is a living document that we want to improve. So use the commenting system or email us uh, your comments. I'm Jason at calacanis.com, my last name. And Jackie is Jackie at launch.co and Sam is Sam at launch.co. Or Samantha and launch.com. Yep, either, either, one, either one works. Look at that. Uh, email forwarding. You can go visit this deck at thisweekinstartups.com slash scale. And we are on slide number three of our sales, uh, which is episode five. So we're at 5.3 sales. Right. And the sales prospect, the sales process prospecting. Right. Okay. The first, the first tap. The first step, prospecting. Yeah, so Sam, uh, can you walk us through yeah. how you look at prospecting? <laughs> yeah, so to define it, uh, prospecting is the initial research and data gathering of uh, potential leads. Um, so initially, the founder is going to be doing this. And first, you want to start out by um, having your target uh, demographics identified. Um, and, you know, this could include the industry, you know, the size of the company to target, types of roles that you want to target. So, um, you know, your example earlier, you were talking about, um, you know, a customer service rep, um, age range, location, city, state, things like that. Um, and then again, most founders are the ones, or most of the time, the founders are the ones that get this started. But ideally, once you have working capital, you can start to hire SDR reps and then even more ideally start to outsource this. Um, so... <clears throat> Going on to our next point. Yeah. So 
Um, this is actually one of the we did talk about um, you know teams in our in our previous slide, and this was one of those um, one of those functions that we did recommend to outsource as early as possible. SDR should the be SDR outsourced. Work, yeah. Why outsource it? Don't SDRs cost 10, 20 bucks an hour? So it seemed like it's an easy position to fill. What is the debate whether to hire somebody internally, have them in your office, or hire them full-time, have them dedicated versus using a service? And how do the services charge? Um, so typically, the it really varies, um, but the services charge often by how many leads are delivered. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes they'll charge a certain amount per lead, and then on top of that, charge you more if you know if they set up a call for you or set specific. up a meeting. What would they charge per lead in your experience? Um, or per month? Yeah, so maybe 300, 300 to 1,000 maybe per month. I mean, for a startup, I would yeah. say. Yeah. So we have one working on Inside right now that we're testing. It's 3,000 a month for two SDRs. I think they're in another country. They find targets who might want to email. In, they might want to um, advertise in an email newsletter like inside.com slash cloud computing or something, inside.com slash AI. And we think that they're going to set up 10 to 20 calls per week, which let's call 15, which would be maybe 50 a month for $3,000, $60 per phone call, I mm -hmm. guess, would be how we'd look at yeah. that. But they think they can put 2,000 leads into the database. So that might be $1.50 per person they find on LinkedIn or some other website. And of those $1.50 per lead, they think every 30, 40, 50 of those, they may get a phone call out of it. So I think that's the math. If you were to take that $3,000 and times it by 12, that'd be 36. If you paid somebody, I think that's uh, 600 a week or so. No, it's 700 a week. would be 35,000 a year. 700 a week is uh, in a 40 or 50 hour week, about $15. So it's probably, and people hate the job of SDR. Most people hate this job and they burn out of yeah. it. <laughs> That's, I think, the number one reason to use one of these outsource firms mm -hmm. is that what is the turnover of SDRs? I mean, it's like every six months from what Lead IQ, one of our investments that yeah, I, I builds would say tools every six months, yeah. So SDRs hate their life and they either turn into account executives or they leave to do some other job. Yeah, I mean, some, some find it therapeutic. I know our, our team really enjoys it. Well, they um, only do it for... That's another hack. They do it yeah. for, of their 40-hour week or 45-hour week, how many hours do they do it? One hour a day? Uh, one hour a day, yeah. So that's an interesting hack that we found, mm -hmm. which is our team in Toronto, uh, which is less expensive than here in San Francisco, which has gone supernova and bonkers. They will spend an hour a day looking for potential leads for our two account executives here in the Silicon Valley. How many do they find in that one hour? How many leads do um, they generate? And then how many leads do they need to generate ballpark to get a phone call? Yeah, so they, uh, they're they currently tracking at 50 companies per week. And we, we typically, you know, we ask them Each to, or one? Um, combined? Combined. Okay, so that's 10 hours, 50 companies. Yeah. They find five an hour. So they're mm -hmm. finding highly targeted leads. Highly targeted, yeah. And, and they often will find four contacts within each company too. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so they... Are finding fifty target fifty companies with four targets, mm -hmm. three four targets in yeah. each. So they're finding really one hundred fifty to two hundred people yeah. in week. fifty hours. Got it. A mm -hmm. week. No, no, no. F ten hours a week. Correct. Yeah. Ten hours a week divided by two hundred. So they're getting about twenty people an hour mm -hmm. to twenty names an hour. One every three minutes. One company every fifteen twenty minutes. That makes sense. Yeah, I think. And these are. 
uh, English-speaking, college-educated people that we've chosen. Correct. What do you think about hiring people in Manila, India, off of Upwork at $5 an hour, $7 mm-hmm. an hour? I know we've tried that with some of these Upwork platforms where yeah. off-seas workers are you know, half of the hourly rate here or a third of the hourly rate there. there. Yeah. Do you see a difference between the contacts if they're non-English native speaker, college American versus, or college Canadian versus, say, another country, Mumbai, Egypt, yeah. India, Pakistan, um, I've Manila. actually had really good experiences with both. I do think it's easier to work with our team. And really the reason we've kept it internally so long is because our team enjoys it so much. Ah. Um, so that's a big reason we haven't outsourced it. Interesting. But um, I, I work with someone from Upwork on a lot of our design, and he's a pleasure to work with. I mm. think the only issue is the time difference. So, um, you know, Where I are they located? You know? um, he's in Lithuania. Or no, he's in Serbia. Sorry, Serbia. What does it cost per yeah. hour? Um, he is fifteen per hour. Fifteen per hour for very and high a quality designer design. here yeah. in San Francisco or America. Uh, so we just got quoted a hundred dollars an hour in San Francisco, in San Francisco or Francisco. for somebody based in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then most people in San Francisco don't charge by the hour; they charge by the project. So right. a friend of mine, I emailed and I said, "How much just for?" giggles uh, with the syndicate.com how much would you charge for a logo and he was like it's a 30 I used to charge 30 or 40,000 right. he makes very famous companies uh, logos yeah. and I was like that's not uncommon yeah. I mean I think the next logo cost a million dollars Steve Jobs reportedly spent a million dollars on that yeah. I think somebody can check that uh, with some hundreds of thousands of dollars to do like yeah. some gorgeous and you can tell that it's mm-hmm. that gorgeous but yeah. um, okay great so we're telling people to outsource but we insource um, I, I just, I would, this is just a recommendation I would have for a startup. You know, ah, we're also not a startup, so right. it's, it's different for us, but, um, you can do this. So we're not a startup, um, we're 15 people investment company, we, I guess yeah. it's sort of different. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I consider us as more of a small business because we're not, it's more of a partnership. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Because yeah. we're not tied to like revenue. We're tied to the investment outcomes we make. Correct. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I'll go um, with that. Yeah, and and again, our our team just really enjoys it, and it's going well. So why why change it? And if you um, made them do it eight hours a day, eight hours a day, they would not enjoy it. Probably. I don't know. I'll, I'll ask them tomorrow. No, tomorrow. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't. Um, I, I think it's probably yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably works out well. How do you manage having multiple SDRs and then multiple account executive salespeople not colliding with each other? Yeah. So actually, that that's really good for my next point. Um, so you want to try to create an autonomous sales machine okay. as early as possible. So um, an example process for that could be, you know, setting a goal for your SDR team. So we just mentioned, you know, 200 a week, 200 contacts a week, which is what our team is doing. Um, and then from there, you'd want to establish some sort of process for after they find these leads. So what I would recommend is they find the leads, they put them in, into some sort of system. So like Zendesk. A CRM. Sale. So, yeah. Um, CRM. So Zendesk Cell or Pipedrive, one of those. Salesforce. Salesforce. And it's then a bunch have, of CRMs. Yeah, yeah. Customer relationship management systems. Yep. Okay. Um, and so what we have, have our team do is they put them into our CRM. They classify them as cold leads. Cold leads. Cold leads. It. Yep. 
And then our um, and then our sales team, actually, I go through at that point and actually just spot check them and make sure they all make sense. Okay. Um, and then our sales team goes through after I've assigned them and they can go through and, and you know, take another look and then actually outreach. They mm. can start, you know, sending the emails through um, outreach.io or I think Zendesk Cell can also send the emails or Mixmax. That's when the sequences start, which is actually going to be our next section. Got it. Um, but you do want to set up some sort of process so that there isn't any overlap. And the good thing about CRMs is that when an SDR goes in and adds a contact, if that contact is already in the system, it'll get flagged. Or if it's already, you know, a client, it. it'll get flagged. Um, and then you can also see they usually track your um, your communication. And so anytime a sales team emails a lead, you can see that in the system. So the SDRs already know, okay, you know, this is a client that Got canceled it. or this is someone we shouldn't What if they to. put a person from... I don't know, Amazon web services team, like we want Amazon to advertise mm -hmm. on our podcast, which yeah. they will never do because they're too cheap, even <laughs> though they're making a ton of money. It's not It's not like take it personally, but Jesus, shoot the lock off your wallet, Bezos. <laughs> they're like, oh, hey, Jcal, we yeah. love you. And your, your startups love Amazon. I'm like, great, buy everybody lunch. Yeah. They're like, how about you uh, give us access to everything in the keys to the kingdom when we give you nothing? I'm like, that doesn't sound like a good deal to me. <laughs> but I understand why Maybe Amazon is so true. successful now. Because you ask for That's everything right. and get nothing. Wow, yeah. well done, Amazon. Yeah. But let's say you were put in the Amazon person. You put in Jane Doe. Mm -hmm. And they have, you know, AmazonAWS.com. If we were talking to Jack Smith and there was an active conversation going on, how do they know that and it doesn't fire off? Does it check for other people at the company or do they have to do that manually? Or does that happen? Is that something that's like collisions? I'm thinking about collisions inside the same company because don't companies yeah. get upset if four people, if you contact four people at the mm -hmm. same time about the same offering? Uh, I, d I don't know. I mean, it really depends. I think okay. I think at this point with all of these sales tools out there, um, because it's so easy to do now, I think people just expect it. And ah. so they know it's going to happen. I mean, you know, that happens to us. You know, all of us will get the same sales email. Um, right. And we actually don't really pass it along. So I'm sure it happens more so often than we don't even realize. So people don't get upset anymore. Um, <clears throat> I don't think so. But also... Um, Depending on the CRM, a lot of so I know that the the one that um, or HubSpot, for example, um, they when it when it matches that domain or when it sees that email, uh, it matches the domain to the company. Got it. So all Amazon emails will fall under the Amazon organization. Got it. Yeah. So okay, you would be that able makes to sense. see that. Yeah. Not yeah. all do that, but most do. Are people burnt out from getting all these sales emails? And is there going <clears> to be an issue in the future of using email as a channel or? Is there enough unsubscribe capability and sort of pain if you overdo it for the company? Yeah. I think with uh, GDPR, you're required to have an unsubscribe link at the bottom of the email if you're sending them in bulk or if it's yeah. you know an unsolicited email. Um, most don't do that, though. Um, oh. <clears throat> and I know I personally, I don't hate sales emails because I'm the one that shops for tools for our, for our business. Got it. So I actually read them. Um, so I often will find tools that we use through these sales emails. So, so if I targeted, it's good. Yeah. It's when it's not targeted. <laughs> Correct. When it's not targeted or if it's too spammy or, you know, too often. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, what I do is I just reply with a quick unsubscribe. I use a superhuman snippet and just say, hey, I'm not interested. Sorry. And sometimes, actually, if it's a, a startup, uh, I'll try to give them feedback, too, and be like, uh -huh. hey, 
this is why I didn't purchase or this is what you could add and maybe I'll consider it later. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah. I just hit delete. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. Because if I reply, it might. This isn't common. What I do is not common. Yeah. But I just. That's weird. I know the oh, grind. Oh, but nice. I also really like to hear about all these new tools coming out. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I find it very weird when they get to that fifth, sixth, and seventh one. Like, yeah. did you get my email? Yeah. Or can I ask you a question? Yeah. I hate those sales tactics. Yeah. Like, tell me what you want up front. Yeah. Do not say, hey, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, you just did. Those I don't answer. Yeah, you just asked me a yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. You're asking permission to ask a question is asking a question, technically speaking. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so being annoying is part of the process, but having an easy unsubscribe is also part of it. Yeah. And um, and then just one more point here about the sales machine. Um, I think one thing that's really important is to really, you know, really identify what your sales your account executives need from the SDR team because some sales salespeople really like to handle their own outreach. Mm. Some just want to be queued up, um, you know, five different calls that they just hop in, hop into every week. So um, oh. that'll really vary, you know, across teams and startups. Um, so really identify that because um, and and salespeople and we'll get into this later, but they have different. Um, you know, different strategies for closing. And so if part of that is how awesome their emails are, then you wouldn't want the SDRs reaching out. So what do we do at launch at this point? We have the SDRs send the first email or we have the sales team take the list, pick the ones they want, and then they send the first email. Do they do it in bulk? Do they use a script? Do they use what? Yeah, it's, it's different at launch and inside. At okay. launch, our, our SDRs will only load in the leads and then I assign them to the to the account executives just to, so they're random mm -hmm. and then our our salespeople handle all of the outreach themselves um, does that mean super, they write a custom targeted. email to each one or do so they we use have we have uh, sequences we have templated sequences and then our team will customize the first line or two of, explain of what a sequence email. is because I don't know if everybody understands this because this has yeah. really changed everything hasn't it in sales yeah um, so a sequence is a sequence, if you will, yeah. <laughs> of, of a actions, series. a series of actions. Yeah. Um, typically, it'll be between three and five emails, but there are new tools coming out that will, like, so closed one in our portfolio, for example, yeah. um, her tool will let you also follow that person on Twitter or connect with them on LinkedIn or, mm. you know, um, I don't know if hers does this, but drop a voicemail. Um, so there are more things that you can add. Yeah, multi-touch series. Um, so, but at, at launch, all we do is, is email outreach. And then- Do we um, have a second and third follow-up that automatically? happen or not? Yeah. So um, the, the good thing about the sequences, and we'll talk about the sales tools later, but the cool thing is that you can, it can all be automatic. And mm. then um, we're going to talk about the nurturing in a second um, here with Jackie, but uh, you know, essentially you can just load everything up and you can, you can see all of the stats on, okay, how many of these were opened? How many were, were replied to? Things like that. Yes. Um, and, and so we find that very, very valuable. So, you know, when we have a new salesperson start, typically what I have them do is write a couple examples of sales sequences and then just start testing them. And then we'll kind of work on that together. Why not just give them the one that we've already determined works best? Uh, because I think I think it's important that they learn themselves. Ah, and, okay. and each one has, they each have their own individual styles. That's true. They might bring something yeah. to the table that exactly. we didn't think of, exactly. so it's worth testing. Yeah. But we always have the templates that have worked the best. Mm -hmm. And you can... And I'll usually introduce those a little bit later. Got it. Yeah. If a person doesn't respond to email one, the sequence will then wait three days, yeah, four you, days. Yeah, you set the number of days, but I, I would you, recommend three. Three. It sends a follow-up email mm -hmm. with maybe some more information. Yep. If they don't answer in another three days, it sends a third. Mm -hmm. Then a fourth? is What do we think is the, the number of follow-ups that we don't consider obnoxious, but we consider 
tenacious mm-hmm. or appropriate. Yeah. Three or four. Yeah. Three or four. Jackie <laughs> um, says three or four. Okay. So, so I'm inclined to say three or four. I actually, yeah. Um, this is, I love all this stuff. So I have a million thoughts about this. But uh, what I like to set up is a, a sequence of three emails that all send within two weeks. And then from there, that contact actually gets moved into a second sequence, which I call the slow drip sequence. Mm. With that one, you start selling, sending the emails once every month or two months. And you have that running actually throughout an entire year. So you can set up, you know, wow. um, you know, maybe it depends on the sales tool. There are limits, but um, typically it's like five that you can send max. So, you know, try to set those up. Um, to send throughout the entire year mm. and try to add um, reminders for yourself. So a lot of these sales tools will, will let you, as part of the series, also create an activity or like some sort of reminder to ping you. So if you mm. send an email, they haven't responded in two months, then maybe it creates a task for you. Okay, you know, connect with this person on LinkedIn. Connect with the person, wait another two months, send yeah. another email, wait another two months, connect with them on Twitter. Yeah, so this ah. is, yeah, this is- So you, you never give up. Because I have some people who seem to have set up their sequences to the five, six, and seven level, and I'm like, really? Yeah, it drives me crazy. It really does. Well, the, it has the to be. Fifth, it has six, to be, and seven. These are only for targeted. Obnoxious. These are just for super, super targeted leads. So, huh. the, so I have them go into the slow drip sequence if they're because you can set it if you're opening if the email's opened or if they're clicking on your links. Ah. So, so I wouldn't do that. So if, if someone's not opening any of these emails, I wouldn't have well them go stop. into the, yeah, yeah. Ah. Um, but if but they anyone click a link, that, that shows some intent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they open it more than once, that mm-hmm. shows some intent. Right. Okay. I get it. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Let's yeah. go to our next slide. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we, you know, we have been talking about nurturing. Um, so Jackie, what are some other best practices once you've identified prospects? Yeah. So I think that, um, and we've, we've already sort of talked a lot about this, so this may go, <laughs> may go quick um, with all this sort of technology it feels like the tried and true really are emailing and calling after all this. Um, and so there's there's a lot of resources out there. I mean, uh, May Siao, who is one of our portfolio founders from uh, Lead IQ, she gives a really great talk on sales and digital assets you really need for selling, um, as specifically on emailing. But you know, your website, content marketing, outbound emails, and basically how much time you really should be spending developing each one, preparing all of these. Um, and she goes into the you know the art of writing a great cold email. You want to keep it short, but also provide value. Make it very easy for them to say yes. Um, giving them specific windows of time to accept meetings or follow-ups. Um, how many times you should follow up and when? We've sort of already started talking about this. And of course, you know, A-B testing, which is hugely important. Right. You're testing different subject lines, um, the text in the body, even the day of the week that you're sending, the time of day, all these things you want to you test. Also, um, images and graphics. Mm-hmm. I think when I see an image, not a goofy one, like I, sometimes a salesperson will send me like, gif or something yeah i mean i'm just like i'm not this is not snapchat or like twitter like you do not need to send me a dumb and dumber gif like no yeah however when they send a chart or a screen capture of their software in motion and i can see oh here's how you know zendesk works and they're sending a little looped video i like that kind of stuff but Mm -hmm. maybe i'm different maybe people like like that too yeah yeah, but do people like these goofy funny emotional, you know, I'm going to send you a Dumb and Dumber or a, you know, whatever, Star Wars gif. (laughs) Does that work? I don't feel emotional about them either way. Yeah. (laughs) I think I'm shocked to find that you don't feel emotional either way. That, that, <laughs> that you personally you know, care about. I think, uh, really, May working on that robotic uh, 
president. Uh, one of one of their techniques was uh, to actually create a song for the specific person. And now, that's that hard. was hilarious. That's hard to scale a little bit, but it was very effective. So I think there are levels of of, of things, and there's just a lot of yeah. interesting research out there about how you know three or four words uh, lines get m the most responses, and how writing at like a third grade reading level is like yeah. thirty six percent more effective in reaching the person. So really, yeah. idiocracy. So <laughs> say it in few words yeah. in a fragment of a sentence that a three year old would appreciate exactly. and get a higher response rate. Wow. Yeah. And I, I don't have I don't know the stats on this, but I know there are several different emails that we'll try in our sequences and some are as short as possible that, you know, maybe it just says, Hey, did you see my previous email? Mm. So like making it sound like it's coming from you. You you set aside time and wrote that email. And then on you know on the flip side, you can send these super informative emails that will, you know, show us some sort of demo or something like that. And so I try to mix both types in each sequence because you don't know what's going to resonate with the person. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and and so and that's really one uh, the big takeaway is you really want to just try a lot of different yeah, a lot of different things. I love um, the idea of the of the song that the gentleman at uh, Lead IQ was doing a, his name is uh, I'm forgetting his name right now but it was hilarious he would look into the camera and he'd be like <laughs> Jackie I'm emailing you about your podcast hosting I think that we can kill your pricing saving you 30% with faster download speeds hit reply hit reply sold Jackie <laughs> Hit reply. Yeah. And he was and literally playing yeah. on a keyboard and he would send 10 of these an hour where yeah. he would just freestyle yeah. and people were tweeting about it. Yeah. So I think having fun is cool. Um, I've even heard of people sending like pizza or donuts to people's offices mm -hmm. or asking them to give them a gift card if they get on a call. Yeah. I don't like that kind of stuff, but I guess it must be yeah. effective. So yesterday oh, I did no. a demo with a company and they offered, me, they offered me they offered me $100 if the deal or just for taking the demo okay um and then the guy at the end of the demo he said I'll give you another $100 if you can get your boss to close this today what was it <laughs> I, I don't know i don't feel comfortable saying oh. this is the this is the expense reporting software well the expense reporting <laughs> software wow. um, um, and then and then they needed additional information for me today. Ah. They offered me another $50. And I was like, I just feel you dirty. Well, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, you I can, haven't. No, you can totally take it and give yeah. it to me. Um, no, I mean, this is a problem because it is a bribe. And yeah. it, in other countries, bribing is something that is expected mm -hmm. uh, and grafted like that. It actually turns out to be illegal. Um, for government agencies and companies to give bribes. So there's been a whole series, and I don't want to say the names of the companies because it could be problematic, but uh, there were a series of companies, uh, Emmy nominated Nick, nominated Nick can look for bribe, American company that bribed and the, the executives in America were doing bribes in other countries. Guess what? Doesn't matter if it's legal or not in those countries oh or expected, mm -hmm. they get held to the American standard. And the American standard is you can't bribe. So these were people at major companies doing it. Nice. Now, a, a gift card or a cup of coffee is no big deal. But when you start getting to 100 bucks, 200 bucks, now it's material. And I, I find that really offensive in a way. Like, think about it. You pay off the person making the decision to take out their corporate card and put $500 a month on it. They cost the company 6000 They got 250 This is kind of problematic. Yeah. But was it the best expense software you ever saw? Was it better than what we're using? 
Um, yeah, it's, I just, it, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think we'll switch to it and it, it just felt dirty because I, I it's probably so would have switched either way. Well, they should just give it, they should just give it to you as a discount, but actually yeah. we should make sure people know this because I've had to do this at inside and remind people that they can't take freebies. Young people mm -hmm. are so dumb. Mm -hmm. No offense, young people watching. They will take a bribe and think it's cool. Yeah. And, uh, it is a bribe and it's craft and even, um, the airline miles were getting into this. Yeah, how Walmart used payoff to get its way in Mexico. Oh, yeah, it was Walmart. Walmart bribed. Right. Oh, wow. yeah. oh, my God. Can you imagine you were Wal Walmart to Mexico was an aggressive and creative corruptor offering large payoffs to get what law otherwise prohibited and examined by the New York Times found. And by the way, it is dangerous because you can go to jail. Yeah. Um, but on a smaller sense, we had writers who maybe were getting free products and not seeing that as graft it is mm -hmm. anything above i would say 25 dollars. you should you should tell your boss about it immediately and i don't think it's a great idea i did see webinars doing this now too if you show up for the webinar if you complete the webinar and i don't know if that's a good idea or not it may make you feel good that you got 250 people yeah. to finish the webinar but i guess what you're trying to get through is did they stay through the webinar because you got 50 bucks and then did it actually convince them that there was a better product? I guess if you have the best product and you do it, like this expense software, yeah. if it is in fact the best product and they give you a gift card, they you just gave them the, yeah, that's. Yeah, it, it is the best I've seen. Yeah. So I, I was very impressed with the software. Mm. I actually didn't know about the $100 gift um, before hopping on the call. And actually at the end of the demo, he said, okay, great. I'll send you, you know, the link for the hundred dollars after, and then you can also get another hundred dollars. <laughs> that is like, super aggressive. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I, um, I think that's so dirty, though, because if you think about it, if you're, I always think about the sniff test. If you were to have your boss find out, yeah, what would the reaction be? Yeah, and I think for people who are watching who are at companies, you might get fired over it. Like, be careful at your a big company of doing that. I know mm -hmm. when I was at Sony, they had a whole section and they they trained us on this because. I guess there was so much graft going on. And we in the IT department, <clears throat> they would offer us to go on junkets. And we were just like IT people getting paid 50 grand or 60 grand a year. They would offer us business class seats that we never got to be in in our lives. They would put us up at a four-star hotel and they would do a seminar in Cabo. And you'd be like, <laughs> yes, I'll go to Cabo business class and stay at a four-star yeah, resort. Wow. And they're spending $7,000 sending you there. But they know that if they got the Sony contract, it'd be yeah. worth X. Yeah. And it was like, hmm. Yeah. And I haven't clicked on the link yet. And so what I, I actually haven't even, so basically that happened and then we jumped into a million other things. Yeah. Um, but it could be that it was against our total bill, but I'm. But it's also a free product. So that doesn't make sense either. So I don't know. I need to just. Be careful with it. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I was going to talk to you about it. Yeah. <laughs> just, it no, was, I, this happened yesterday. I, so. I, I'm always thinking about if these techniques um, will help a startup or not. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also thinking about because we have ethics, and morality and behavior is under the microscope here in Silicon Valley. Everybody needs to really think through if your emails were exposed, which they are anyway, they will be, mm -hmm. the SMS was exposed and your business practices were on the cover of the New York Times or in TechCrunch or on TechMeme or yeah. in LaunchTech or what would you, how would you feel? Mm -hmm. And if they were like, you know, this SaaS company gave $1,000 to people to sign up for it, you'd be like, what? Whoa, and they didn't pay tax on it? And so this $100 to me seems to be straddling yeah. 
If it was $25 gift card, I would not even think about it, like a Starbucks gift card, because they mm-hmm. would have taken you out for coffee, wouldn't have been a deal. The 100 plus the 100 plus the 50, no. it seems like they gave them like a bribing schedule of how to like <laughs> bribe people into using right. their software. Right. Um, all things being equal, if you gave people a discount, it wouldn't be a problem, but how they get you the money too. Yeah. You should see if they Venmo it to you or- yeah. We'll report back. We'll report uh, back on yeah. Graft. Episode six. All right. We're <laughs> okay, not saying on. on slide four that you should provide Graft. <laughs> um, so so calling. So we covered emailing, so calling. Oh. Well, it's it's huge. Uh, is it? Yeah, it is. Oh. Um, and I don't a, a, great, a great resource for this is uh, Whitney Sales, who's one of our favorite yes. speakers uh, from the Sell Prize. She developed a sales method, which is a really terrific framework for what to do once you get a prospect on the phone. Um, her thesis is that the customer will really tell you everything you need to know during that conversation in order to sell to them. And she really literally does a step-by-step for how many minutes you should spend on each step with the context, establishing rapport and confirming goals, the why, getting their story, hearing their problem, making sure they're a good customer for you. Um, the what, you know, you go through use cases, what their retur- what their ROI, return on investment is going to be, and the how, process of closing, which Sam will talk more about next. Um, yeah, there's scripts for this. Yeah, there's scripts for this. Yeah, this she's a really terrific. Do. And her name is Whitney Sales. Whitney Sales. And she is a consultant who teaches people how to sell. Yeah. But her literal last name is Sales, is. S-A-L-E-S, <laughs> and she did not change it to Sales. It just happens Correct. to be that she was drawn to Sales, which right. leads one to wonder if your last name is, is Sales. Calicanus. <laughs> well, that means done well. Calicanus in Greek means to have done well. Well, there you go. So there you go. But Sales as a last name driving you to do Sales. But when we do talk about calling here, we're not exactly talking about cold calling. We're talking about setting up a call. Do people still cold call? Try and just call people and interrupt their day, or do yeah. they do that thing where, like Jason Demont does here, where he's like, "Here's my schedule link, yeah. pick a time if you yeah. want to." Or mm-hmm. Mixmax does that too. Yeah. He uses some other software to he do. He uses it. Calendly. He uses mm-hmm, Calendly yeah. for Ca- Calendly. Yeah. Calendly, terrible really name, which is like seven bucks a month. And I Mixmax has it built in. Yep. And does Google Calendar have it built in now too? I think they built it. I into- think I think it just happened like last yeah, week. Yeah. I think uh, a nominated Nick tell us in the. Um, <laughs> in the uh, chat room if Gmail actually has this. But the idea is you give people a link. You set it to say, I'm willing to take calls between 11 and 4 p.m. every day, except for Fridays when I have my Mm -hmm. sales team meeting. And then if there's an opening, people can just pick their 15. So that it integrates with your work calendar so that people don't double click It just pops up. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about doing that, and then I just thought, that's death. Oh, yeah, no. That would be death I wouldn't recommend that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I don't think it's, it's, it's stone cold. I mean, it's... Yeah. Once you get I, I don't know if people, and I could be wrong, but I don't I don't think people cold call as often anymore. You don't really pick up the phone that much. Yeah. I do not pick up the phone yeah. on my Android Pixel 3, which I love. You have the Pixel 3 mm-hmm. too. It is so good. I get good. a spam alert. <laughs> it gives you a spam alert, and wow. then it will do a, um intervention for you where it will mm-hmm. screen the call. Google is so much better at software mm-hmm. than Apple. You get to listen in on the screening. So I'm like, screen that shit. Oh, sorry. I'm like, screen <laughs> And it screens it. It's like, hi, this is the Google Assistant. I am answering for Jason Calacanis. Could you please tell me yeah. who's calling and what this is in wow. reference to? Nice. And if uh, Jason is available, he'll pick up. And it lets you listen. And almost universally, they hang up because yeah. they're telemarketers. Yeah, right. But if they're not, they start answering, which I used to do. My trick was I would just hit Speakerphone, mute. And I, Jason, 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 are you there? And I don't say anything. And then I'm like, Jason, 
<laughs> it's your brother, Jamie. And then I just take off the speaker and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, you were from a non caller. Yeah. I was waiting to see who it was. Yeah. And I would just leave it on speakerphone. And then sometimes I would take it off speaker and go, <clears throat> and then I put it back on mute. That was my trick. Because I was that's like, good. I want to torture these people yeah. who are okay. spamming me and just leave them on the phone. Because that's the thing that they hate. Yeah. It's time. So when somebody's doing that robo calling and they mm -hmm. keep calling you, right. I just put them on speaker, mute. Yeah. And after four or five times of that, they just take you out of their database. They'll just take, yeah. 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 Um, so the bottom line here is really a lot of people have tried different approaches, but you just want to try, you want to experiment and then track how well you do. Absolutely. And that's something when you have multiple salespeople, you can create a little bit of a competitive environment and collaborative environment where you're saying, hey, this person got a 60% open rate on their emails. This person got... Uh, this person did 10 calls a week but closed one. This person did five calls a week but closed three. Why? Right. And, and yeah. are they better on the phone or do they have better targets, right? right. And yeah. so you can start really unpacking that. I think it leads to really healthy debates and conversations. Yeah. And yeah. our next section is actually on closing. What so does it take? Another, another great segue. <laughs> Coffee um, what does it take is to for close? closers. Yeah. Um, so I would say that pretty much everything we've discussed up to this point is is pretty easy. It's the, Those are the easy parts of the process. Sure. The closing is what mm. is the art. That's why mm -hmm. coffee is for closers. Coffee is for closers. Yeah. Um, so at launch, we use the BANT, the, it's the IBM BANT framework, mm -hmm. um, and that stands for budget, authority, need, and time frame. Um, budget, do you have the money? Authority, are you the person who has will authorize the sale? Mm -hmm. yep. Need. Need, do you need this? Are you ready for Jesus in your life? <laughs> T. Time frame. Time frame, can you accept Jesus now? That's what, essentially. Yeah. No, that's what he does in uh, Glengarry Glen Ross, right? Oh, does he? Does I think he, he's, Jesus? he keeps okay. using Jesus. I say, are you ready for that. Jesus to come into your heart? But that is banned. Yeah. Yeah. You have, let's go through it one more time. Yeah. And, and we'll go through in, in I only detail. remember always be closing. Oh, that's the only yeah. Yeah. ABC yeah. always be closing, but yeah, I like it. Okay, keep going. Yeah, so um, so with budget, my, my recommendation is to try to get an exact number when you can. Mm. It's rare that you'll actually get it, but uh, every once in a while you'll get someone that says, oh, well, I actually have you know $20,000 left this quarter that I need to burn. Mm. What can you do for me? Yeah. That is gold right there. Four that episodes is of twist, we'll throw <laughs> yeah. in five. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, um, yeah. And, then, um, and then if you can't get an exact number, at least try to find out um, a little bit more about the prospect and what their goals are, um, and also just how the spending goes as a company. So, you know, if the company is more frugal and scrappy, so like, you know, AWS, for example, we mentioned earlier. Um, they have the budget. Yeah. They have the approval. They're so scrappy. They have the need. <laughs> yeah. There's no um, time frame under which yeah. they're going to give us their money, apparently. Or, or you know, on the other end, um, do they have so budgets cheap. to blow? You know, because you would you would handle that that call and that conversation sure. completely differently. Yeah. Sure. Um, in and then in, in the early days, um, as you're working with prospects, getting to know them, getting to know your clients, always be thinking about new ways that you can evolve your product to earn more of that open budget, Got which it. we'll talk about upselling a little bit later. But okay. um, yeah, and then moving on to authority. Um, so does the person that you're speaking to actually have the decision-making power? Mm -hmm. um, so you want to identify a champion and then also find a decision-maker. Sometimes they're the same thing. Sometimes they're Got different. I, I would say... Um, in larger companies, that they are typically different. So a champion could be someone lower level that is just really into your product, really excited about it, but they can't actually sign the you know the right. agreement. If somebody came to you as the president of launch and said, "I want to get this expense software," you'd be like, "Okay, that's great. Bring mm -hmm. me three different expense software companies. Right. Whichever one gives me the biggest bribe, I take." Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. 
No, you would actually. <laughs> I mean, then, that's what happened. Well, that's what I'm happened. No, they would champion it. They might say, "I love this one. Right. I'm championing this one." But mm-hmm. you might be the decision maker, and you might say, "You know what? That one is three times the price of this one, and right. we're going to keep using Google Sheets for expenses, and mm-hmm. we don't need another solution." Right. Right. Got it. Yeah. Um. And then also, you know, just with this, um, the person who actually writes the checks could be a, another person. Mm. Um. So you just really want to identify how this process works within right. that company because, um, you want to target the one who actually gets to sign the agreement when you can. Um, and then in, in larger companies, there is an additional person, there's an accounts payable department, and oftentimes they may have to actually approve it, you know, within the budgets. And so with that, you know, your approach would be different again, because you would kind of have a different pitch for, okay, how does this fit within your budget? How will this, how will you see the ROI, things Mm. like that. Um, the next thing, um, hopefully, you know, um, you will have figured out what the prospect's pain points are through the nurturing process. Um, and so you want to be able to do that and um, think about how you can make the prospect's life easier. What can you offer that's better, the, you know, better than competitors? And then lastly, the, for the time frame, you just want to, um, you know, be able to capitalize on urgency if, you know, if that's something that you can do. So, you know, for example, if with that example of the 20000 this quarter that they have to blow, you yeah. want to be able to hurry up your processes on your end so that you can, you know, basically sell that 20000 within the yeah. time frame they need. They're going on vacation. Yeah. They have to do this by Thanksgiving or they're going to be out over the Christmas break, the holiday break. They're going to need to make it by yeah. December 14th or it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's interesting about personal motivations. We do have people who sometimes will buy ads on This Week in Startups. And if you were to ask them, what, why are you doing this? Sometimes you'll have people say, well, I'm a fan of the show or mm-hmm. I was on the show or I called into the show. Yeah. So we had DigitalOcean come on the podcast. I gave that person advice Mitch when he was looking for a gig and to start a company. And then they came back and they advertised. If you didn't ask them, you'd think, well, they're just trying to, you know, sell servers and, you know, compete with other cloud hosting providers. But in fact, they had a personal motivation because they were fans of the show and maybe they want my endorsement. Other people might just strictly care how many leads are we going to get? Other mm-hmm. people want to know how many closed sales they're going to get. Other people might care really passionately about the read and the quality of the read. We've had people who are like, I want 10 unique reads. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay. Tailored to the content. Tailored to the, I mean, <laughs> yeah. some people and get a little crazy. Our, That's not I possible. One of our sponsors for this. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Series, yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I, I think it, I, it does good, make but... sense, but I have to read all the ads. <laughs> yeah. So I, I prefer to like at least get two, <laughs> yeah. two viewings out of these brilliant yeah. ad reads. Okay, yeah. let's talk about upselling. upselling. Yeah. Yeah. What do startups need to know? Um, Yeah. So ideally, you can separate sales and client success. Um, You won't be able to do this initially. You want the money to do it. But, um, you know, you'll you'll want your salespeople to really, truly be focused on closing those initial sales. And then ideally, you can have a separate team that takes those those leads and really focuses on the upsell. So a couple of different ways you could do that. Um, So one thing that you can do is really pay close attention to your product and what your product is doing for your prospects and think about, okay, what can we easily add to our product that would take Take up any of their, you know, open budget. So, um, say your product is ninety nine dollars a month, and you can do X, 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 and X. Um, what are what are Y and Y that would increase your monthly recurring revenue by a hundred or two hundred dollars? Um, and sometimes this could be very easy. Um, Another recommendation I would make here is to double down on your whales. So sure. oftentimes you'll have, you know, um, you know, maybe five clients. They're really the ones paying the bills in the beginning. Mm. Um, you would want 
maybe even a founder to be the one working with these whales, but um, really identify, okay, what what are they loving about the product? Really double down on that. Really yeah. get their feedback. Make sure they're happy. Take them to dinner. Do whatever. You, well, don't bribe them, but don't bribe them. <laughs> dinner do, is yeah. more about building a relationship and yeah. rapport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and you know the founders will will handle the whales in the beginning, but eventually they would be passed off to account managers. But definitely your best ones or account yeah. executives. And there's a difference between, to be clear, since this has come up a couple times, between bribes and graft and thanking a customer yeah. with an experience. So I ran into a friend of mine and I said, "Well, oh, where you been?" He said, well, "I was just kite surfing." I was like, "You went kite surfing? That's great." He's like, "Yeah, this bank, high profile bank that we all know." <laughs> took 25 VCs and 25 founders, flew us to Turks and Caicos, and paid for a four-day first-class, you know, four-star hotel Mm -hmm. kite surfing, you know, junket. And I was like, well, that's like 10 grand a person. They must have spent a million dollars on that. I was like, yeah, but these are 25 VCs and 25 CEOs whose business is worth more than 10,000 each. Yeah. So that's nice if you're taking somebody to a Warriors game or taking them kite surfing in the review mirror after mm-hmm. they've spent money right. with you. It's just a way to thank them. Yeah. That's distinctly different. Yes, absolutely. And whales are important because they are not necessarily um, spending money with you because they don't care about money. It might be that they're getting massive value. Right. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the whale thing has a negative connotation. In poker, we call whales people who are bad players fish or Mm -hmm. whales are bad players with a lot of money. So some rich CEO gets up to the poker table versus, you know, not rich poker players who do it for a living and are degenerates and play every day. They call them whales. In video games, they call whales the people who buy the most virtual currency in Zynga poker or something like that. But whales in this enterprise or business setting might just be the largest customers. And they're getting value. So yeah, provide more value. Yeah. And and one thing to consider here is that... um, Renewing and upselling is much easier than booking new clients. So, um, you know, that's another thing to consider here. It's it's just a lot easier. Like, so if you're a founder thinking about where you're spending your time, um, and maybe you're strapped for cash, need to meet payroll one month, I would look look at the whales, look at yeah. how how you can further maybe help them. Maybe they'll buy for the year, pay yeah. in advance, yeah. give them some discount or some additional. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, and then lastly, here, if Re- you... does renewals fall into upselling? I guess it was a subsection. It does, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Renewals are super important. Yeah. Getting absolutely. people to not quit mm-hmm. is as important or more important than getting a new customer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's another reason I would say to separate sales and client success. I missed this point earlier, so I'm glad you brought it up. But um, because you do want a team, uh, you know, focused on these renewals, making the making yeah. the clients happy, um, you know, overperforming, overdelivering, because that's what promotes the upsells. That's what we did or, with sorry, this week in startups. We're yep. selling whatever, 150,000 views and downloads, and we're trying to provide more, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. trying to provide more and quicker and have better guests. Right. So when you think just this little microcosm of this podcast, Jackie and I... Um, have to get better guests, have to do better content because they're selling so many great customers. We mm-hmm. want to up our ante. So this year yeah. we said, let's get all the unicorn founders on the podcast. And we've had what this year? 10? Yeah, easily. Easily 10 yeah. unicorn founders. With, with which, founders and investors. And with investors. Yeah, so it's yeah. a big success. Okay, great. Jackie's crushing it. Crushing it. Well done, Jackie. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I do I do have one more point on this. Oh, sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. You want to focus on creating recurring revenue. So if you're currently providing services or one-off products, uh, you want to you can still do that, but you want to figure out ways that you can create monthly recurring revenue on top of that. So mm-hmm. what are features or value adds that you can create and deliver on a recurring basis? Um, and this is there's often this inflection point that we notice with our portfolio founders that once they learn how to turn this on, that's when we really start to see them move up into the right. And that's also yeah. when the founder can stop focusing on 
on these one-off, you know, one-offs that they're doing yeah. and really focus on, okay, how can we get more money, you know, from our clients on a reoccurring basis? Hmm. Great. Yep. All right. Great. So quickly, um, tools. There's a lot of great software out there um, to really help sales. And you just really have to look at what's right for your goals and your team and your budget. Um, some examples of ones we use at launch are portfolio companies. We use Mixmax and outreach engagement for drip campaigns. Um, we use outreach, which is similar to Mixmax. We use Zendesk Cell. Pipeline visibility management for sales teams. Um, you can get a dashboard where all your prospects are in the sales funnel. You can kind of see where everyone is. Pipe Drive, which is similar to Zendesk Cell. Lead IQ. Yep, Lead IQ. Um, Some SDR companies, but let's not mention them. Okay. Because so, I don't know if I can endorse them until <laughs> we see what they do yeah. at Inside. Um, so I'm curious, Sam, You know, do you th is it a common practice for startups to use a number of tools for sales like we do? Um, you know, What's been your experience in getting your and teams Salesforce to implement them in Salesforce? Startups. Yeah, Salesforce right. for startups, yeah. 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 Um, I would, I would recommend, I think, it's, I think it's fine to use utilize different tools, but what I would recommend is for each department or function to use the same tools. And and that way, all of your reporting and everything is in one place. So all of these tools come with dashboards that you can look at. So it'd be really difficult to have to normalize all of the data across the tools. Um, so definitely try to keep them you know, within departments. But I know here at Launch, we use a couple different tools across different functions of the business. And I, yeah. think, that's, I think that's fine. Yeah. Um, and then also the switching costs for tools are relatively high. So I think we paid $100 when we switched CRMs when I first got here. Um, and, and then also, you know, I had to do training with the team, things like that. In the end, it ended up working out. Um, but make sure you do your research and utilize free trials before committing. And oftentimes what people don't realize is that if you reach out to a salesperson and you say, hey, we actually didn't get enough time, can you extend our trial? Yeah. 90% of the time they'll say of yes. Of course. Yeah. 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 And if they don't, then they don't deserve your business yeah. in my opinion. Right. But. And you can negotiate hard, I think, with anybody who's providing tools in a competitive environment. And um, if you're yeah, getting value yeah. from it, I mean... What do you think the average startup spends on tools for each sales executive per year? A couple of hundred dollars a month. Mm -hmm. So if you were spending three or four hundred a month on tools for each executive, it'd be about five thousand a year is what I'm gonna guess. Yeah, and, and if they're if they're closing enough, then it's totally worth it. Yeah, if your average sale is ten thousand mm -hmm. dollars, the tools for that salesperson, the first sale goes towards their tools or half their tools. And then after that, you're free and clear. I think yeah. it's a very competitive environment for these tools. Try a bunch of different ones, figure out what works yeah. for you. And then it's also very important, I think, to make sure everybody participates. I have found that some of the old school salespeople do not like to use these tools. They don't like change, yeah. Yeah, what is your thought on that? How do you convince them? I convinced Jackie to use outreach yeah. for sequencing yeah. for sale for that only took about ten it's minutes. Just outreach, but still outreach for yeah. booking outreach. guests. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Any we, kind we of did outreach. sequences. Yeah. yeah, but just the whole concept of automation was just such a um, you know wow. It just Mind changed exploding. my world. Yeah, it changed my world. Yeah, yeah email sequences let you invite a hundred investors to come <clears throat> to the accelerator with one push of a button mm -hmm. after whatever an hour or two of prep. Yeah. And then if you're doing that for seven incubator classes, accelerator classes a year, it's seven pushes of the button for not only 100 emails to go out, but the follow-ups to them. So then all you're doing is looking at the follow-up. So a lot of these sales techniques, I think, flow into the enterprise and other places. Right. Yeah. And, and one strategy that I use is essentially to um, – anyone who wants to adopt the software can adopt the software. 
And then I'll have the team report on what they've been able to do with that software mm. or, you know, what the progress they've made is. So like for the sales team, um, I think at one team meeting, we went around and the sales team mentioned, you know, the success of their sequences and, um, you know, how much, what their open rates were, things like that. And a member of our sales team who hadn't adopted the tool mm. yet said, oh, like, how, how are you guys doing all this? <laughs> um, and at that point, I was like, oh, well, actually, we adopt, we started using this tool uh. that you made you know, you weren't necessarily excited about in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, that person started using the tool and yeah. now our entire sales team uses it. So, so sometimes, <laughs> uh, yeah, if the salespeople see other people having greater success than mm -hmm. them using the tools, it's motivating. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I yeah, like but it. I, it's, it's hard to force anyone to use tools. Um, what I like to say is, you know, this is here. We're paying for it if you want it. Mm. Feel free to try it out. If you don't like it, that's okay. But typically what I find is that they do end up using it. I like the idea that if you're not keeping the CRM up to date, then you are going to lose valuable leads mm -hmm. because our philosophy is if the lead hasn't been contacted in 60 days, it goes Correct. open yeah. to anybody. So I think this is super important for people to know. Some companies do it in 30 days. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking to some great target like IBM or Amazon Web Services, or a great target like IBM and a terrible one like Amazon Web Services. <laughs> I hate to lay into Amazon Web Services. My <laughs> God, you guys are cheap. Um, uh, you, if you didn't call them or put it into your CRM, the other sales executives might jump on it. Right. So that is a backstop, is it not? Yeah. Has that? Have you seen that in reality where um, people are not updating their CRM and then you're like, hey, well, you lost the lead? Or what do you do then as that's, the president? That's how we identified. Um, well, actually, we identified that a couple of people didn't know how to update it properly. Ah. And we actually found a bug in the CRM. So oh, we reached wow. out and got that taken care of. And we actually uh, haven't, haven't had a problem with oh, that. Okay, yeah, our team is very good at keeping it updated. Some people yeah. just do not like to update the CRM. I've, right. With some of those old school people, I just tell them like, um, you're, I'm going to let you get away with this for like a year. But when we get to the third or fourth salesperson, you're going to have to adopt right. it. I give them like yeah. a little amnesty. Like I know this is not how you sell. Mm -hmm. but what I'm finding is the people who don't adopt these new tools are no longer competitive. Yeah, they're falling behind. Mm -hmm. They're falling massively behind. They're just not bionic. Yeah. All right, this has been great. I learned a lot on yeah. this. Thank you, uh, Samantha August and Jackie Deegan, our Emmy Award-winning producer. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Nominated Nick. He's got museum. one Emmy nomination, no wins. <laughs> Thank you, nominated Nick. Yes. And thank you, Sir Charles, uh, on the ones and the twos back there. And thank you to our sponsors and partners for making This Week in Startups available for free for the hundreds of thousands of people tuning into every episode and collectively the tens of millions of people who've watched this podcast over the last decade. It's one of the great joys of my life to host this podcast. I consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to share all this knowledge with the entrepreneurial community. And we will see you all next time. Bye-bye.